are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Again, if you're a guest, welcome. We are uh, in the second week of Advent, which uh, Advent is just uh, based on a Latin word, which means Adventus, which just means arrival or coming. And so we are looking back at the first arrival of Christ and in the manger, but ultimately with expectation for his second arrival in the clouds. And this year, what we're doing is we're kind of looking at some of those famous songs that we sing in this season and really kind of unpacking them a little bit so that we will understand the truth to which they point us, right? They're not just songs. We saw last week that songs are powerful things. Music is a powerful thing, right? And, and songs are God's gift to us, uh, and they're powerful. They, they connect the heart and the mind. So yesterday, uh, I ran uh, across the bridge, and my second time across the bridge, when I was about to die, because uh, I didn't train, and one of our members cursed his name. He said, hey, let's run this together. Yeah, that's a great idea. So we did this thing. And so my second time over the bridge, right when I'm at the bottom of the bridge, and I'm about to die, Kenny Loggins... Highway 2, the danger zone comes on. And I'm like, yes, I can do this. Right? And so for 30 seconds, I felt great. And and then I was in the danger zone. And then I was saying, talk to me, goose. And then I walked. Uh, But I did make it over the bridge the second time, barely. Uh, but but there's, a, there's something powerful about songs because they connect heart and mind. And so we are looking at these songs. And so last week, we looked at a song that points us to hope. First week of Advent, we talk about hope. And there's a longing and expectation. So we looked at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which reminds us that Christ, in his first coming, fulfilled all the prophecies were made about him at his first arrival. And that gives us hope that he will do the same with all the second uh, promises for his second coming. Today... We're going to talk about peace, and and we're going to look at a song that it's actually ironic. The song, it points us to peace, but it was written, and there was just some chaos and conflict written around this song. It's one of the most beloved carols of Christmas. It's it's, uh, found itself in two of the greatest Christmas holiday movies uh, out there. Not Die Hard. It's not in Die Hard, but that is one of the best. Uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And Charlie Brown Christmas. Do you know what song I'm talking about? Anybody? Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, right? Uh, one of our most beloved carols, uh, but yet there was chaos and some conflict when it was written. It was rid- written by a man named Charles Wesley. Some of you ex-Methodists in the room know him well. He wrote 6,000 hymns, one of the founders of Methodism, ministered here in Savannah uh, before he got saved, actually. Um, but in 1739, the first edition of a poem that he wrote for Christmas came out. And it was originally called, Hark How All the Welkin Rings, which you can imagine didn't catch on so well. In fact, one of his buddies, Char- uh, George Whitfield, and if you know anything about Wesley and Whitfield, these guys were on the opposite ends of the spectrum theologically, and they had some conflict, but they were kind of ministry partners at times. And, and Whitfield goes to uh, Wesley and says, Chuck, no one knows what a welkin is, dude. And so he changed the song. He changed the song to what we now sing, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. And Wesley did not like it. He was mad about it. Because his, his thing was, it never says the angels sung, which is actually true, believe it or not. The Bible never says that the angels sung. 
And so Wesley wouldn't sing it and he was mad, but Whitfield's like, I don't care. And so he would sing it and he wrote it and he would sing it at his meetings. And so later when Wesley uh, was writing another edition of his hymnal, he actually wrote this in his hymnal, it's funny. He says, many gentlemen have done my brother and me without naming us the honor to reprint many of our hymns. Now they are perfectly welcome to do so provided they print them just as they are. But I desire that they would not attempt to mend them for they really are not able. None of them is able to mend either the sense or the verse. Therefore, I must beg of them one of these two favors. Either let them stand as they are, take them for better or for worse, or add to the true reading in the margin or at the bottom of the page that we may no longer be accountable either for the nonsense or the doggerel of other men. The doggerel, right? So that was his way of saying, stop changing my songs. And on top of that, the song was originally written to be sung very slowly. He actually wrote it to be sung to the tune of uh, Christ the Lord is risen today. So Christ the Lord is, hark the herald angels sing, glory to, doesn't quite catch up, it's, it works, but it's not, it doesn't work for us. And so when both of them died, and the song still hadn't really caught on, it was kind of, you know, little places, but a hundred years later, uh, Felix Mendelssohn, he wrote a cantata in honor of the 400 year anniversary of the Gutenberg Press. And he wrote this song, uh, and he said, this song is supposed to be for secular use only, not sacred. Right, so the, consider it's like, so this song is supposed to be sung not on uh, 91.9, his radio, it's supposed to be sung on the river, all right? It's only read for the river, right? Not for, for Christian radio, but then he died. And so another guy said, I don't care what any of them say. Uh, it's Dr. William Cummings, since they were all gone, he said, no, I'm gonna put the words of Wesley slash Whitfield to the song of Mendelssohn, and here we have it today, Hark the Herald Angel Sing. So you can see that the worship wars of the last 20 years are not the first time people were fighting about music in church, right? But despite all the conflict around this song, it's a song that points us to peace, to peace. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the three verses today and see how and see why. Because not only does it tell us how to, res- to tell about peace, it tells us how to respond to peace. And we, when we sing this song afterwards, I want us to understand from now on, when you hear Charlie Brown singing it, all right, I want us to know what we're singing, right? To connect our hearts and our heads, all right? So let's look at the first verse, very famous verse. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all you nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim. Christ is born in Bethlehem. So the song actually starts with a command, right? Hark, which is not exactly a word that most of you are using on a daily basis. My guess is you haven't used it since December 25th of last year in this very church, right? Because no one's like, hey, kids, hark, right? Teachers are not like, hearken to me, students, but it's just a word that means listen, pay attention. Kind of zoom in here, listen to what, what? The herald, the messengers, the angels sing. Now, this is why Wesley didn't like Whitfield's version because actually it's an allusion to Luke chapter two where the angels show up and it doesn't actually say that they sing. Now, it doesn't say they don't sing, but it doesn't say they sing. God sings, Zephaniah says, and we're to sing. So angels probably sing. So we don't know if they sang here, but we're not gonna focus on necessarily the method of communication, but more so the message. And he's pointing back to Luke chapter two, when the shepherds are in the fields, shepherding their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord appears. One angel shows up and says, I bring great news to you. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That was one angel. And then all of a sudden, a a whole multitude of the heavenly hosts were praising God. It doesn't say singing. It says praising God. And saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those whom with he is pleased. And so again, picture the scene. It's dark, shepherds in the field, one angel, they're already shocked. And then boom, a multitude of angels. And again, when we talk about angels, don't think about, you know, Fabio in a white dress or something. You know, we're talking about angelic warriors, Navy seals of heaven show up, terrifying Right? That, that's an angel. It's not like, oh, hello, I'm an angel. I gotta, you know, it, it's a warrior. And they show up, and what the writer is saying is, listen to what they're saying. What are they saying? Glory to God in the highest. The highest praise belongs to God. Why? Because of this baby that was born in Bethlehem. Now, I think it's significant for us to think about the fact that the angels are saying, God deserves the most praise, the highest glory for what just took place in Bethlehem, a savior who was born. Because think about what all the angels have seen. Remember, angels predate creation. They were created sometime before Genesis chapter one. And they've seen a lot. They saw the Red Sea parted. They saw God provide manna, rock with water. They've seen the 10 plagues. They've seen David slay the the Goliath, they've seen a lot. They saw creation, right? And I was listening to a sermon this week from J.D. Greer, and he shared this illustration. I was like, that's, that's good. And I want to give him credit because he, he came up with it, but I thought, this is powerful. Think about the fact that the angels witnessed creation, right? They witnessed the creation of the universe. They, they witnessed the creation of all the galaxies. Do you know how many galaxies scientists estimate there are in existence in the known universe? It's kind of a big gap between one and four trillion. Right, that's a lot, right? That's a big gap too, right? But space.com, which I figure if anyone knows, space.com knows, says there's two trillion, two trillion galaxies, Okay. Now I know we hear that word. We're like, oh, that's a lot. I don't think we know how a lot a trillion is because we watch the news and we're like, oh, we owe our debt is thirty trillion dollars. That's not a big deal. Trillion is a big number. Millions a big number. And think of it in terms of uh, seconds. Do you know how how long ago a million seconds was? You have to go back about a day before Thanksgiving, for you're eating turkey. That's a million seconds almost 12 days, right? That's a lot. How about a billion? A billion seconds. You know how long ago a billion seconds was? Some of you weren't even born. The summer of 1990, new kids on the block, step by step. That's, that's a billion seconds. Some of you are like, what is the new kids on the block? Google it. You can watch the video. It's so bad. So bad, y'all. If you like new kids on the block, I feel sorry for you. That's, not, that's a billion seconds, you know what a trillion seconds is? A trillion seconds. 32,000 years ago. All right. That's, that's before the Beatles even. That's before, in my understanding of the Bible, the creation of the earth. So two trillion, if there's two trillion galaxies, that's 64,000 years in the terms of seconds. That's how big the number is. 
And just, just to kind of blow your mind a little bit further, scientists estimate that there's between 100 billion and 400 billion stars per galaxy, not counting planets. Okay, and so that number, if you try to multiply, you know, 2 trillion times 400 billion, it's, it's a lot of zeros that you can't fit on your little calculator. The point is this. The angels saw that spoken into existence just like that, and they say that this is a better deal. This is more glorifying than that. Y'all, glory to God in the highest. Why? Because he created a bazillion galaxies? No, because of what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Hark, listen to them, right? They were there at all of it, and they say this is the highest praise. This is the highest glory. Why? God and sinners. This is the most important line in the entire song. When we sing this later, you better be shouting it. God and sinners reconciled, right? Peace on earth. That's peace. It's not peace like, yo, peace. No, peace on earth is God and sinners reconciled. Listen to the angels. Humanity was at war with God, a war you could not win. You were his enemies. There was enmity between humanity and God. There was a chasm that could not, we could never fix. You could never do enough to get to God. So what does God do? He comes to us. He bridges the gap. And he says, glory to God in the highest because of that. Understand, angels who are in the presence of God, who have seen God face to face, who've seen all his mighty works. When, when it comes to the idea of salvation, it blows them away. They, they cannot grasp that creator would become like his creation and that he would love them so much that he would lay down his life for them. It, it, it's... Whew. In fact, Peter says that the angels long to look into these things because it blows their mind. It's, and that's why the writer, Wesley, and that's why the song says, listen to what the angels are saying. Joyful, you should be joyful. All nations, not just Israel, all nations. Why? Because the Savior has been born. And join them. Join the triumph of the skies. Join the angels with them. Proclaim what? Christ, Messiah, Savior is born in Bethlehem, right? And, and we've talked about the spiritual realm a lot in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, because we see Jesus casting out demons and interacting. And we've talked about the reality that there's these real things called angels that are ministering saints that, that are right now, you can say, oh, I don't believe that. They are here with us right now. They are observing this service with us. And we talked about even the idea is, do we have guardian angels? You know, there's kind of some question about that. But regardless, there are, there are angels in the spiritual realm that are here with us now. And you're never commanded to seek them out. You're never commanded to talk to them, pray, none of that, right? But I was thinking about it this week. What if you could talk to the dude that's been hanging out with you for the last 30 years? Right? His name's not Gabriel. You're too low level for Gabriel, just so you know. You get Hank. He's like a low level. You get Clarence. Clarence is yours. No wings, right? But like, if you could talk to Clarence, and you shouldn't, so don't go home and pray to angels, but if you could talk to Clarence, what do you think Clarence would tell you? I was, I was thinking, if, if Clarence could talk to me, he would probably say, 
dude, what are you doing? Do you not know who it rules the universe? Do you not know the privilege of being called a child of God? Do you not know? Y'all are like worried about tinsel on a tree and reindeer in the front yard. Do you not know who rules the universe? What you've been given? You're worried about this and that and this and who's winning this game? Do you not know? I think that's what they would tell us if they could speak to us. It reminds me of what the writer to Hebrews says. And this this is where we need to land. In Hebrews chapter two, it's not Hebrews chapter 11. I, I misprinted that, so we'll change that for next service. But after the writer of Hebrews in chapter one is proclaiming that Jesus is better than the angels, he says, therefore, because Jesus is greater than the angels, we must, the church, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The gospel is not something we move on from. It's not peace with with God. It's not something that we're like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Let's move on to the deeper stuff. No, it's a big deal that you were into the kingdom of darkness and he he transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a big deal, y'all. And the angels in the song are saying, listen, join, understand, don't move on from, hark what the herald, the angels are saying. It's big. Don't neglect the gospel. Don't neglect the gift that we have been given in knowing God. Do not neglect peace with God because it came at a huge price, huge price. So go to chapter, verse two. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. So I I was Googling to kind of copy and paste these lyrics this week and uh, into my notes. And the third, like the third site down on Google was the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. I was like, ah, that's interesting. So I clicked on that one, of course, because I had to. And it was, I opened it and it only had verse one and verse three. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Uh, Where's verse two? And then I read verse two again. I'm like, ah, that's why. Because this is the verse that highlights who Jesus is. Like verse one and verse three tell you what to do. Verse two tells you the why, who Jesus is. And, And the Mormons will tell you that they believe Jesus is the son of God, but they will not believe that he is God the son. And this verse is maybe the clearest verse in any hymn ever of who Jesus is. It's like right out of the Nicene Creed. It's right out of, uh, of the church of who Christ is. He is by highest heaven adored. Who is the focal point of heaven? He is. He is loved. He is respected. He is cherished. They love him there, right? They love him. He's the focal point. Was, and, and this is maybe a horrible illustration, but I was thinking about, we're a dog family. We love our dogs, we go home and, and, you know, it could be like somebody we haven't seen in a year. That's great. Hey, Maisie. Hey, Maverick. And I mean, we're just on the couch and they're loving us and we're loving them. We adore them and they adore us. Now, we don't respect them or anything, you know, but, but there's, there's this like love for them and you can't wait to see. That's how heaven is with Jesus. He's respected. He is adored in heaven. 
And if you read it, it's not that the Father is not adored. It's not that the, the Spirit's not there either. But if you, heaven is heaven because Christ is there. Heaven is not heaven without Jesus. Right? He is adored. And the Father's there and the Spirit's there. But remember, the Father glorifies the Son and the Spirit glorifies the Son. If you read the end of the book, Jesus is exalted. He is the focal point of heaven. Right? He is the highest heaven adored. He is the everlasting Lord. This is why the Mormons won't sing it. Because it's not just that Jesus came into existence in, in, in Luke chapter two and Matthew chapter one. He has always been. He, he is the eternal son. Yeah, he took on humanity in Bethlehem, but he has always been. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was not created. He was begotten, right? And so this is, this is a significant difference between the cults and us. Jesus always was and always will be. He just added humanity to his deity at Bethlehem, right? And so when the Mormons say, yeah, we believe he's the son of God, yeah, they also believe that God the Father was at one time a man who died and rose again, and then he became a God, and now he populates his planet, and you can have a planet too, everybody. That's if you get down to their, their theology. They don't believe that he is the eternal son, that he is yesterday, today, forever the same, that he is, big theological word, immutable, unchanging, he always was. He is everlasting. And because he's everlasting, it seemed like he was late in time, right? I love that line, late in time. It, it took forever. Genesis 3, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And then we have 4,000 years. That's a long time. Abraham was promised, in you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. 2,000 years, nothing. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, Assyria, come and take Israel away in 700 B.C., and, and there's nothing. And in Malachi, the last prophet, he prophesied 400 years before Jesus. And he got 400 years of quiet from heaven, crickets, no prophecies, no visions, no nothing. It seems like God has forgotten until Luke chapter two, Matthew chapter one. And Galatians says this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption. He seemed late, but he wasn't late. He was right on time. And this is why for Advent, what do we look? We're longing for the second arrival, the second coming, which people are like, are you kidding me? They've been waiting for 2,000 years. And Peter says to us, God is not slow about his promises. As some count slowness, he is patient with us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Why has Jesus not returned? Because he's waiting for some to repent and believe. That's why. So he's not late. God is never late and God is never early, but God is always right on time. He's like a wizard, Gandalf. Wizards are never late, right? God is never late. He is always right on time. And then it says he's veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Again, why the Mormons won't sing it? Because if you've seen... Jesus, what does he say? You've seen the Father. Philip, how can you ask me, show me the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? What does the Hebrew, writer to Hebrews say? That he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Even the spirit is called the spirit of what? Christ. The Holy Spirit, yes, but he's the spirit of Christ. You've seen him, you've seen the Godhead. Even though he's veiled, veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see. Why, why is it hard to see? Because he looks like a normal dude. I mean, it, it seems so disrespectful, right? Oh my goodness, no. We expect a Messiah that's six foot 10 and has 4% body fat and that can, you know, 48 inch vertical. 
throws 99 miles an hour with a great slider. That's what we think. But the, the prophet says this, no, no, no. He's no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He's a normal Hebrew dude. Just If you had a lineup of eight Hebrew men, you, you couldn't pick him out of a lineup. You have a one in eight chance and you, get a, you probably get him one out of eight times because he's there's just nothing flashy. Normal. You had eight little babies in the, in the Bethlehem nursery. Which one's the Messiah? Oh, it's that 15 pound kid. No, not him. Poor mama. All right. It, it's, just, it's just nothing flashy. Why? Because the Godhead is veiled. He's veiled. Right? You can't see him. This is the this is the beauty of, of what's been called the, the hypostatic union. Again, another fancy word. But that just means that Jesus is 100% man, but he's also 100% God. He's not a 50-50 mix here, y'all. He's 100% man, but he is 100% God, which is horrible math, and it is great theology, because that's who he was. Because the only way for God to make peace with man, he has to become man. But the only way he can make peace with all of humanity is that he has to still be God. So he is God, he is man, and he lays down his life to make peace with men, right? And he's, I love the last line, maybe my favorite line. Please, as man, with men to dwell. He's pleased, not forced. Father wasn't like, you will go down there and redeem your people, right? That's not, it wasn't it. He's pleased, right? Pleased to come. And you can imagine the angels thinking, you're gonna do what? You're gonna, that's way below your station, Jesus. Way below your station. He's pleased. He knows what he's getting into. He knows that his stepdad is not gonna believe his mama and is gonna wanna initially divorce her. He knows it. He knows that Herod is gonna wanna kill him as an infant. He's gonna have to flee to Egypt. He knows that his own brothers and sisters are gonna think for 33 years that he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because he's claiming to be Messiah. He knows that his best friend is gonna deny that he knows him. He knows that one of the guys he loved and poured into for three and a half years is going to betray him for 30 bucks, basically. He knows that the people and the nation that he came to redeem, that was prophesied about, were going to nail him to a Roman cross, being a curse for their sin. And he still comes because he's pleased as man with men to dwell because it's the only way that God and man can have peace the only way. So listen to the angels and know to whom we sing and about whom we sing. And then the last verse is your response. Stop, stop harking and start hailing. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son, S-U-N, not S-O-N, the S-U-N of righteousness. And this is an allusion to the prophet Malachi, chapter four, where Malachi talking about the day of the Lord, when Jesus will return, his second coming. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with what? Healing in his wings, right? Because by his wounds, you are healed. Not physically now, because we're gonna die, but one day there'll be a physical healing. He brings light, he brings life to all, right? So the prophet prophecy is when he returns the son of righteousness. And so the songwriter says, hail the son of righteousness, right? Light and life to all he brings. He's risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. This is Philippians 2. He empties himself. He takes the form of a bondservant. He was made 
in the likeness of men, right? Humble, that's who he is. Mild he lays his glories by. And here's the second most important line in the verse. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. This is the why. Jesus came. From the beginning, his plan was to die. It was to die. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God you crucified. That was the plan. Genesis 3, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent even though he would be bruised on his heel. That was the plan. Psalm 22, that he would be pierced in his hands and his side, that his garments would be cast for lots. Isaiah 53, that our iniquity would be laid on him. That was the plan, right? That, that from the beginning, that his name would be called Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from what? From their sins. Even the Magi, they bring gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Odd gifts for, for a one-year-old baby. Gold picturing his kingship. Frankincense picturing his deity. Myrrh picturing his death. He was born to die. Simeon, when he's eight days old, holds the baby up, steals him from Mary and says, this baby is for the rise and fall in Israel. And you, Mary, your soul will be crushed. And 33 years later, she's looking up at her son nailed to a cross and her soul is crushed because he was born to die. Even the shepherds who were the first to hear of Christ, the shepherds outside Bethlehem, history tells us were the shepherds that were in charge of the Passover lambs because he was the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. He was born to die because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin and atonement had to be made. The wrath of God had to be satisfied so that you could have peace with God. And so what do we do? We hail him. It's because he, well, he was born to raise the sons of earth because Romans six, you are connected with his death and you will be like him in his resurrection, Right? Born, this is Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you are only born once, you will die twice. You'll die physically one day, and then you'll die spiritually separated from God forever. But if you are born twice, physically, and all of you have been born at least once, right? Because you're here. But if you have been born twice, you've been born again, then you will only die once because you will live spiritually forever. And that is why he came to die. And that is why we have peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way there could be peace. That's the peace of the song. That's the peace the angels pronounce. Yes, there will be peace when he returns to rule and reign. But that's the peace he's talking about now because Jesus tells us before he goes back. Remember, he says, oh, by the way, in this world... You're going to have trouble. That doesn't sound like peace, does it? See, when we think of peace, we're like, yes, peace. Peace for me means everything is going well, right? Kids getting good grades, jobs going well, physically I'm feeling good, nobody's mad at me. We think that's peace. But see, that can be, that's fickle. I mean, one day that you're a billionaire crypto somebody, the next day you're in the Bahamas with 10 bucks in your pocket. That's, that's, that's the reality, right? 
That th- this world is, this is no peace. It's chaos. So the peace that, that Jesus is offering, and he does offer it. It's not, it's not, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace. The Prince of Peace says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. So let not your hearts be troubled. Peace comes from being in right relationship with God. Understand this. It's the most important thing. It's what the song is pointing to. It's what the message of the church is. There's only peace when you are in right relationship with God. And then when this is right, all this is gravy. Because whether or not the boat's rocking and rolling and Jesus is, you think, asleep in the front, he's still with you because he's Emmanuel. And the reason he says in John 14, there's peace is because I will give you the helper, my spirit. He will be with you forever. And what is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, and what's the third one? Peace. See, peace here comes from peace with God. And maybe some of you are like searching and thinking that the next thing is gonna bring you peace, the next job is gonna bring you peace, the next relationship is gonna bring you peace, the next race is gonna bring you peace, the next SEC championship is gonna bring you peace, whatever. You're looking for all these things and you're never gonna find them here. You're only gonna find it peace with God. And so my, the question, this song, the angels are like, hey, do you hear it? And what I'm saying to you is do you have peace with God? Not like, yeah, me and God, we're good. I'm not talking about that. Because if you're saying that, you probably ain't. Do you know for certain that your sins have been forgiven and that you will spend an eternity with Jesus? Do you know that for certain? If you're like, I don't know, then you don't have peace with God. Because if you had repented of your sins and put your faith in the gospel, you would know, not because you're being good, but because he is good. No, my, my peace with God is not because of me. If it's because of me, woe is me. But it's because what Christ has done. Understand, heaven is filled with a bunch of people that know they don't belong. And hell is filled with people that think they belong in heaven. Because it's not about what you've done. It's about understanding that you cannot do anything to bridge that gap, that Christ has done it all. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior not a good teacher, not a rabbi, someone who would save you from your sins, who brings peace with God, God and sinners reconciled. And the only way to him is to believe who he is, hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace and what he has done. And so I ask you again, as we sing, are you reconciled with God? It's what the angels would say. It's what the church's message is. And if, and if you're like, I don't know, come talk to us, fill out a connect card. We'd love to connect with you. And if you have been reconciled with God, then what's the song say? A daggummit, you better joyful triumph. You better get it on. You better hark, you better hail. Because the angels are gonna be like, what y'all doing? Right? It's to respond in worship to the one who gave you peace. That's what the songwriter says. That's what the angels say. That's what this broken man is saying to you. So let's do that. Why don't you stand and we'll pray. And then we will hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, the Son of Righteousness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word and the truth of uh, those who have gone before us, who've, who've pointed us to you through songs, just filled with the illusions of, of, of scripture, just filled with great truth. May we sing them connecting the heart and the mind. 
You want us to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so as we worship, we wanna worship with our hearts and minds engaged and we wanna hail you. You are worthy. You are the heaven prince of peace. You are adored in heaven and we wanna adore you here this morning. And then when we leave with our lives to help us to do so, I pray that if there's anyone here, they, they know they don't have peace with you. They haven't been reconciled with you. That they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would believe who you are and what you've done uh, and they would find life and be born again. Born that, uh, to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That's why you came. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.